Yo, yo, yo. Welcome in to another edition of Preferred Lines. This week on tap, Wells Fargo Championship. We got a somewhat new course, a little bit of change up this week. Um, I have a special guest joining me later in the show to go all through the odds boards. Welcome into the show. What this is is a golf gambling podcast. We also stream this live on YouTube. It will be available in audio form on iTunes and Spotify uh, probably about 20 minutes after we wrap up here tonight. So appreciate all of you giving this a like. If you want to hop over to the YouTube channel and give it a quick thumbs up and a subscribe, I would greatly appreciate that. Uh, Last week, ran a little contest. I'm going to do that again this week just for the viewers in this show Leave a comment on the YouTube video. Make sure you subscribe there. Make sure that you leave within the comment your Twitter handle. Uh, And congrats to last week's winner, Greg Graham. I'm sending you a Preferred Lines t-shirt. I already reached out to you and talked to you today at GJGraham42. I appreciate all of you guys supporting me over there on that channel. Really means a lot to me. Here's what we got on tap for tonight. Course preview. Going to dive into TPC Potomac. Kind of give you a brief little quick notes version that I always do. Then we're going to go through the odds board uh, with a guest tonight. I will follow that up with my best bet. Uh, Wrap things up with a little Q&A segment. If you have any sort of questions or anything you would like me to answer or give an opinion on, informed or ill-informed, I'll be happy to do so. Drop that in the chat. I'll make sure to get to those. And finally, going to wrap things up with a final thoughts segment uh, like I always do. I got something good on tap, I think, for tonight that should be pretty cool. Uh, something that struck me last week in watching John Rahm. So, um, yeah, stay tuned for that later in the show. Okay, course preview and key stats. Um, as always, brought to you by Fantasy Points. Um, they have a great PGA team over there. They've got content creators. They do optimizers. They do lineup constructions. They do projections. They are awesome. Promo code LINES22 is going to get you 10% off uh, a monthly subscription over there. Whether you want to do weekly, monthly, annual PGA sub, they kind of got it all. Whatever works for you, LINES22 helps me out. They are big supporters of the show. So as always, we support them. Okay. Course preview. TPC Potomac. Haven't been here in a while at Avenel Farm, located in Potomac, Maryland. It is a par 70. Going to play this week at 7,160 yards. Um, original designers were Ed Alt and Tom Clark back in 1986. Went through a big redesign uh, after the tour players threw a fit in 2017 to try and make them come back here uh, with a little consultation helped by our boys Tom Fazio and Pete Dye the familiar names themselves. Fairways and greens are familiar Midwest bent grass. You know what I mean? We got that Kentucky blue rough that if down is not too bad. If up is relatively sticky and can be quite brutal. Uh, Last two winners when this was the Quicken Loans National in 2017, we saw Kyle Stanley win a golf event at minus seven here. And in 2018, Francisco Molinari completely blitzed the field and won by seven or eight, I believe, at minus 21. So very differing scores this week. I can't believe anyone's going to get close to that number again. I think it's probably going to play, you know, more like the Stanley year. Um, Here's some course notes. Event moved from Quail Hollow this year to prep for the President's Cup, which is four months away. That seems... I don't know, like, couldn't they have hosted two golf tournaments within four months? It seems doable. I'm sure the course is still open right now, but regardless, we're at a new spot. Only two par fives on the scorecard this week. Number two is a 619-yard par five that is pretty much not reachable. Um, Number 10 is no easy walk in the park either. It plays 560 yards. Both of them in those two previous years averaged like 0.2 strokes under par, so they are difficult par fives. 2017, this course played as the toughest non-major on tour that year. 2018 was, of of course, skewed by that uh, Frankie Barrage that he put together four pretty epic rounds here where he uh, cleared Ryan Armour by eight strokes. Um, This course demands control off the tee, often leads to less than driver off the tee and more of a positional approach and dot, 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 patience right? Uh, Tactical golfers, players who understand how to plot their way around the golf course and think. Um, I think that that is really going to play a big role in this this week. It's a lot of a a strategy players type of golf course, and I think it rewards and suits those skill sets. Key stats that I'm looking for off the tee, um, ranked really high in this particular stat in terms of strokes gain off the tee as comparison to the PGA Tour average. 
driving accuracy, par four scoring average. We get more of those than normal, particularly looking at it harder par fours. Uh, I know that a lot of sites will feature a filter where you can uh, implement difficult scoring conditions and longer par fours. I think it's important. Bent grass, of course, putting, sprinkle that in there a little bit. Greens and regulation, bogey avoidance. Anytime you get a difficult golf course, I always look at that. And a little bit of scrambling, as always. Those are my cliff notes on the course this week. Um, without further ado, I'm really excited to bring on this guest and talk to him uh, in person. We just spoke before he we went out here. We've been coercing through DMs, and he's one of the brave souls willing to, to take the brave leap into TikTok with me. Uh, at KJ Stewart PGA on Twitter. He is a host of an ESPN radio show up in New York. He hosts a show for Bet Online with Chantel McCabe. Started the uh, Read the Line newsletter about four months ago. He's doing really well with that. It does a ton of great content. Welcome to Preferred Lines, Keith Stewart. What's up, my man? Hey, man. Uh, just so happy to be here with you, Joe. And uh, let's hit this odds board. Yeah, man. I got to catch my breath. That was moving quickly for me. Um, yeah. So Wells Fargo off the top. Seems like Rory and the rest. Anything at the top. I'm going to what I'm going to do here, Keith, is bring on the odds checker grid here, which is um, they are sponsored the show as well. It's a nice way for us to basically shop the the different prices in different markets. You can see there for those just listening here, I'll kind of read off a couple of names and see if there's any that stick out to you. Rory McIlroy, the best odds you're going to find right now are plus 850 on DraftKings. All the way down to 20 to 1. Corey Connors. Matt Fitzpatrick is right there. Tony Finau's 25 to 1. Tyrell Hatton is 33 to 1. Abe Answer, 35 to 1. Anything jump out to you, Keith? You know what jumps out to me real quick? Yeah. Joe, you and I were all over Fitzpatrick at the Heritage. And we got yes. let down big time, right? You know, we both right. went out on a limb thinking it was going to be Maddie's time. He said, you know, this is my favorite course in the world, yada, yada. He gave us this whole song and dance. You and I went there. I remember this show that Monday night, and you said, I'm going to take it, you know, I'm going to go in a different direction tonight. And you went with Maddie Fitz. I liked Maddie Fitz that week. So I'm thinking about him again this week. We're, we're going to have almost a U.S. Open type situation with the way this golf course is going to play. And the way he drives the ball, I think he's going to give himself a chance. So why don't we start the odds board there? I mean, he's number one in the field in bogey avoidance. So, I mean, that in and of itself gives him a chance, don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. The big question mark here for me is just kind of off a of baseline, Keith, of what we saw last week. Like we saw one big prohibitive favorite and they came in and, and pretty much no one bet him. Now, this isn't quite the same situation in terms of odds, but Rory's playing great. Had that memorable Sunday that we'll never forget at Augusta where he hold in on 18 there. Last time we've seen him coming back as the defending champion, albeit that was at Quail Hollow. This is going to provide a much different task. But should we just be overlooking the best player in the field, or is it just more of a – do you usually bet these guys at the top, or do you look more in this 20 range? You know what? I'm as guilty as anybody at really looking at the favorites. Um, you know, when, when I write Read the Line, I cover the LPGA and the PGA Tour. And the LPGA Tour is, is super heavy, top heavy when it comes to talent. And, you know, so I, I get in this habit from time to time of looking at the Rory's and the Rom's. I mean, I sprinkled some money on Rom last week. I didn't write about it because at three to one, it just wasn't an exciting narrative. Yeah. But I mean, why not? Right. I mean, I know money's good. Right. You know, so Rory this week, he's double what Rom was last week. I just wonder, are we going to get Rory Sunday at the Masters? Or are we going to get Rory at a regular tour event like the Valero where he missed the cut? Yeah, that's the concern, right? And what was concerning to me, particularly heading into the Masters with Rory, is he's got a problem, Keith, from like 150 yards, like an, a seemingly an automatic range where these guys, you know, PGA pros, they'll, they'll tend to miss it a little bit left or right from 150 yards but they're not airmailing greens and they're not leaving it 20 yards short. Like he, his distance control with a short wedge was really troubling to me. You make a great point though. I mean, it's not, we're all in this business of trying to, you know, play off this role that, that we are experts and we know what we're talking about. So it's not a sexy thing to just take the guy that everyone thinks is the best player in the field. I have some questions for you about Tony Fee now. Obviously, the great finish last Sunday. Some things have really turned around with the ball striking. He still can't putt, but we did see Kyle Stanley win here. So is it maybe Fee now week, finally? 
you know, 129 over the last weekend, 66, 63. But, I mean, everyone's going to point to that Friday putting display. And, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, the guy couldn't putt it from a rowboat in the ocean. Uh, it was It's just awful. I mean, we're not talking about, like, you know, struggling from 10 to 15 feet. We're talking four-footers missing the hole. I mean, I, I've done a lot of coaching in my life. You know, you go back to the Rory thing about hitting wedges and stuff. Yeah. You know, it, I look at Rory, he's going to hit that next level in his game when he learns to control his speed like JT did. Mm. He learned that from Tiger, right? How they can slow their arms down and they can really hit those touch shots without as much spin and without as much height. Well, when it comes to Finau, his ball striking is unbelievable, but his touch on the greens, it just blows my mind. You know, I mean, and, and that's kind of the comparison between the two. I think that in order to win, it's so difficult in this day and age that you don't necessarily have to be firing in all cylinders, but you can't putt like Finau's putting. And, you know, think about it. Finau hasn't hit since the Northern Trust when he won. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been, he's been, he hasn't been relevant at all. So you're going to have to do a little more than a 66 63 in another country where there's a field that, yeah, you should be in the top five no matter what. So I'm going to wait and see on that one. I mean, this does set up nicely for him because it's not a difficult putting contest. I know, you know, uh, three putt avoidance is way down here, but at the end of the day, I got to wait on Fino just a little longer. Circling back a little bit to kind of some of the things that I said about the course, was there anything in your opinion that I maybe missed there or some people may be overlooking this week that you think could be an important stat to sort of hone in on when trying to look at guys? You know, I, I think that everybody does a lot of hard work going over the golf courses, looking at the layout, the architecture, the grasses and everything. Sometimes I think we overlook the weather a little bit because it's such an mm-hmm. unknown. I think the weather is going to play a huge week, uh, huge factor this week, Joe. I mean, it, we're going to get one of these cold fronts again that's going to come through. Is it going to turn out like the players again? I don't know. I'm actually going down to Wells Fargo to cover the event, and I leave tomorrow to go there, and I'm kind of interested on what to pack because the first couple of days it's in the 70s, then it's supposed to rain maybe an inch on Friday, and then a cold front comes in, and then the highs, I mean, we're talking May in D.C., you know, past the cherry trees and everything, and it's supposed to be in the mid-50s, and wind gusts on Saturday over 30. So, I mean, on a golf course that's already hard with three-and-a-half-inch rough, it's going to be wet, and you're going to, I mean, I mean, this thing could be, this thing could be a massacre. I don't know. So, for me, I'm going to talk about the weather this week. I think everyone, I mean, you did a great course breakdown you know, all the guys that we follow and that we're all friends with on online, they all do such a great job. I think for me, the real story this week that, or the unknown, the unpredictability is going to come from the weather. One of the great things, Keith, ironically, that I think that you provide with a lot of your content is, is often I see your stuff. You do have boots on the ground. I can remember you were uh, walking around the players with an umbrella and I was like, man, that looks like crap. So make sure you stay tuned to sort of Keith's page and the read the line newsletter and all that good stuff that you provide is I'm sure you'll be uh, on top of that narrative this week. Hey, I tell you, I got to share one story with you. I was there that Saturday morning at the players. When those guys, I said, I get, you know, I mean, I've been a golf professional forever. So I've seen a lot of crazy things on a golf course. I've never seen it. I didn't, I couldn't believe they were going to start. I mean, TV couldn't do it justice when Scotty Scheffler stepped up and that was the first swing of the, I mean, when you play that golf course, right. You think about that shot all day long. He had to sleep on that shot, not even knowing what the conditions would be. And then he hit it over and then Xander hit it. I mean, I was just standing there. I was like, this is like the best players in the world and they have no idea what to do. So it's just so much fun to be a part of being there and, you know, kind of really appreciating what the guys are going through. And I just wonder what it'll be like this week. Yeah, absolutely. And of course it is, it has shown a propensity to play very difficult. Anytime you throw um, the great unknown, that is the weather. And particularly with golf, it's wind, right? Like the, you get 30 mile an hour gusts and they don't want to see that at all. That, that can tend to wreak havoc out there. I'm going to move a little bit down the odds board. There's, there's some names here um, that I think are have decent odds. And I don't know if any of them stick out to you. So Abraham answer, I don't really know a whole lot of what to make about him, but it seems like a great course fit. I have some concerns with the injury and he was terrible around the greens last week. Keegan has been playing pretty nice golf at 35 to one. Russell Henley is always going to pop in your stat models when you're looking for accuracy and guys who, who hit 150 yard shots pretty well. Um, Gary Woodland and a couple other ones. I don't know where it, 
where's where's Webb? Okay, there's a 50 to 1 on Webb, but two guys that I was really interested in were Paul Casey and Webb Simpson. Both perennial, you know, President's Cup talent players, top 15 players in the world. We haven't seen them play really good golf in quite a while. Obviously, Casey had the withdrawal, but we're getting some decent names here in this sort of 35 to 50 range. Anything jump off the page at you or any yeses right off the bat? Well, those two guys are kind of like Finau for me. It, there's a lot of unknowns there. And, you know, we're taking real money and betting this. So, you know, Webb and specifically Webb and uh, Paul Casey. I mean, <laughs> there, there's only one guy who likes Paul Casey, and that's Hideki Matsuyama because everybody forgets about him at the players on DK, right? Because Paul yeah. Casey's done it twice in a row now. He, that guy's like public enemy number one on DraftKings. It's hysterical. Yeah. But – I'm going to favor the Northeast guys. So you brought okay. up one name there. You brought up Keegan, right? He always pops in the Northeast. Remember his last win was at the BMW in 2018 at Aronimink. Very yep. similar golf course. Very difficult golf course. Donald Ross design. Um, Got to hit a lot of fairways. He played well there. Won in a playoff. And then another guy who is, I mean, as hot as hot can be. And it seems like he can play any kind of golf course. I mean, he top tens. At the Heritage, he top tens at Riviera. So Cam Young, he grew up here in the Northeast just by me too. So, you know, those are two guys in that middle of the board that I'm more into because of the weather, the conditions, the golf courses, and the grass. And some of those guys that are unknown, I'm just going to leave them to be unknown. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Cam Young because you're right. He's definitely right there in your in your neck of the woods. Number one in strokes gained off the tee over the last 24 rounds for me, which is extremely impressive for a guy that's as long as he is. Oh. Um, he's he's super accurate. Like he's got a weapon with that driver that not many possess that is going to, to make him a special player if he can put it all together. Well, I tell you, the first time I saw Cam Young live was 2014 in Houston at the USGA Junior. And a kid that I was coaching named Will Dixon, who went to Georgia Tech and Cam went to Wake Forest, they played head to head up in, in the matchups in the first round. And I mean, I saw him live. The kid was at the time 17 years old and he could fly at 310. So he, he's a special player. And it didn't surprise me at all that he, Zalatoris, and a lot of those guys that come through Wake Forest with Jerry Haas in that program, that he kind of refines their skills and gets them out there. Plus, Cam's dad is David Young. He's yeah. the head pro at Sleepy Hollow, the famous golf course with the Headless Horseman logo up there in New York, just, just north of the city. So, I mean, he's, he, he grew up on a very difficult Northeast golf course. He's going to go play another one this week. I mean, he's going to feel at home. We're, we're starting to approach that time of year where the golf courses up here are starting to pop. It's, it's, it's you know, for him, it's like physically, this is the time of year where he wakes up. I mean, I know he's been playing good all year long, but you look at last year, when did he win twice back to back? He did it in June on the Corn Ferry Tour. This is a Cam Young time of year, and this is a Cam Young corner of the country. So you watch out. I mean, I know he's going to be a hot topic and probably heavily owned, but, I mean, with good reason. Yeah, there's still some good numbers out there. You see you do a little price shopping here on Odds Checker, 28 to 1 on DraftKings. You can still right now get a 41 to 1 on Cam Young over there on FanDuel. Um, just kind of inching our way down the board here. Anyone that's in this range that um, is a red line, like cross off for you, Keith, that, that you're not betting 100%. You know, a lot of people are going to talk about the Europeans this week. There's that group of them. You've got Sergio. I think I think he's a good one to pop this week because of, of his skill off the tee. But a lot of people are going to look at Terrell Hatton. And they're going to go back to Molinari winning, a European win in there the last time in 2018. I think it's a bad fit for Terrell Hatton. You know, he's a great putter. It's not a putter's paradise, right? He is awful off the tee. So I, he would be the type of guy or that type of player I would stay away from. Uh, you know, I, I also think that, you know, somebody like a Brian Harmon, that'd be a guy I'd go after because of his accuracy and his scrambling ability. But other guys that don't fit the mold, I mean, you got to put the ball in play here, Joe. Yeah. You know, it, it is, it's the end all be all. You know, I think that, um, what was I listening? I was thinking I was listening to Andy and Andy said, you know, if this is not just a, a first shot golf course, but it's a second shot golf course too. I forget how he worded it, but he did it very skillfully. And mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense to me as a PGA pro, like what he was trying to say. If, if you, it's not just like Pebble beach where they're like trying to find the angles and put it in play. This is a hard golf course. I mean, in 2017, it ranked out as the hardest non-major golf course that they played all year, the year that Kyle Stanley won. So I would really be careful if you if you don't have a player that can't get the ball 
in play off the tee. Yeah, and, and there's a couple of guys that I think are pretty good at these type of golf courses that sort of clubbing down. Gary Woodland sticks out to my, you know, there's there's this crew of guys who just I, I wonder how you what you kind of make of this that just haven't won golf tournaments in a while and you wonder if that weight is really starting to sort of build on their shoulders um it's been a while for sergio it's been a while for jason day it's been a while for russell henley like these guys um that that you know are playing seemingly really good golf for a number of years particularly like sergio and henley but just can't get that win do you think that that pressure can really build on them or like, you know, there's guys Cam Young and these other guys who've never won, but they haven't had the number of reps that these other players have. What do you sort of make of that? And is, is there a definitive side that you would stand there? Well, I'll tell you what, you know what, when it comes to golf in all the years that I've spent around the game, I, I think that, um, you know, ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Versus skeletons in your closet. I mean, that's a that's a really, really thoughtful question, Joe. And, and <laughs> people should consider that more and more. Would you rather be Tony Finau, king of the top tens for whatever it was, you know, three, four, five, six years, whatever it was, or 2000 days or what, you know, they come up with these crazy numbers. Or would you rather be Cam Young and not know any better? You know, as far as I know in golf and all my experience over the years, I, I would rather be Cam Young. And I would like to learn each time that I didn't win, like at Riviera and how I can keep getting better rather than having tasted victory and then get so close again and then have it fall apart. I, I mean, I think that that would be more difficult to handle at that level of professionalism. Yeah. And it's almost, it's one of those weird things for me, you know, coming from being sort of an athlete in other sports that um, is like a learned trait. And some of it honestly breaks down to a little bit of luck. I can remember playing basketball yeah. and um, had a buddy who was fouled late and the game was on the line. He's at the free throw line and he's not the guy you would want on the free throw line, but he makes it, he makes two free throws and all of a sudden it builds this confidence within him and he's got this moniker of he's the clutch player now, right? Whenever the game's on the line, you want the ball in his hands because he's proven the ability to close. And in that first instance, um, there was a lot of luck involved. It could have easily bounced out, but they had, it just happened to go his way, happened to go in and it instilled a belief in confidence within him that every time the game was on the line, he could do it. And I think that the more times that you miss in those circumstances, the more mentally, like, I feel like it has to weigh on you. Like, what am I doing wrong here? What do I need to change? Am I not the clutch player that I, you know, that, that I think that I can be And in golf more than anything, you're in, it's you and yourself and your own thoughts. And when you start to get in your own head like that, um, it can really become a heavy weight on the shoulders. I, let's just take this past weekend, for example, right? Yeah. The, the, the polar opposite of our discussion, John Rahm, number one, number two player in the world, number one player in the world, right? Hadn't won. We, we heard it over and over. Hadn't won since yeah. Tory. He kept hearing about it. You know, he kept being number one on DraftKings and everyone's taking him, you know, at 112% clip. I mean, you know, but he couldn't win. And then he was getting tagged all spring with, you can't win, you can't win. And I was one of those people that kept saying, in and up into the Masters, I said, what happened to the 10 guys from last year that were ranked top 10 in the world, right? Mm -hmm. At the end, you know, on December 31st of 21, you know, that whole list, none of them had won in and including the Masters. And then what do we have hit? Jordan hits, Xander yep. and Patrick hit, Rom hits, and the PGA's in a couple weeks, and Tiger and Phil are going to show up. And it's going to be, I mean, I can't wait to go out there. It's going to be absolute madness, and it's going to be unbelievable. But your point is that Rom now, he's got that off his back for at least yes. another year, right? Yeah, I mean, and so, you know, now, oh, golly, he's like the, the guy shooting the free throws. Watch out for John Rahm. He instantly, you know, goes to the top of the odds board at the PGA because he's John Rahm. So it's it's one of those things. I mean, I, I still would rather be Cam Young than be Tony Finau or John Rahm answering all those questions. Yeah, I really, um, Keith, I, I love diving into sort of the mentality of this kind of stuff. And it's it's hard for me because it's not something you can really handicap. And it's very difficult to try and judge someone's thoughts or their press conference comments. I picked a little something up from John Rahm in the post-round presser that I'm going to save for my final thoughts. But um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to me how that kind of plays out. Now, sort of moving our way 
down the odds board. There's a decent crop of players here in the sort of 50 to 80 range that are playing. Sepp Straka, I feel like, is, is really underlooked right now, given how well he's playing golf. Joel Damon seems like he could set up pretty well here. Um, I'm just kind of scrolling through. I know it may be kind of tough to see on your names. Kevin Streelman, 80 to 1, seems like a good player fit for here. Uh, CT Pan, Aaron Rye, Doug Gim, Adam Long. These are all guys that you can find between like 80 and 100 to 1. Brandon Wu with a strong finish last week. Honor Bond has been playing really good golf. Brendan Steele, like for me, and I know they're friends and they're the sort of the Northeast guys up there, but anytime, like I think, I think Keegan might play well this week. I naturally am like, let me go grab steel at like four times the price. Cause I think he might play well. They tend to sort of mirror each other a lot of times in that way. I know I just said a lot of names. Anything stick out to you there? Yeah. Lahiri sticks out to me. Okay. Well, and, and, and we're going to go back to the free throw analogy or the story, right? Uh, yes. The players, he got some confidence. The guy's a, he's a world-class player, obviously. Right. But the players gave him some confidence he hits at the Valero because he was comfortable there. In 2018, he finished 13th here, you know, at the Quicken Loans National, the Tiger event. So I, I like the way Lahiri hits the golf ball, and he's able to scramble a little bit. So he's definitely one of those guys down the board. I already mentioned Brian Harmon. He's a U.S. Open type player because of the way he scrambles, because of the way he putts, um, you know, and he hits the ball in play. You know, you don't yeah. have to be long. This is not a long golf course. I know people are going to say, oh, you know, like eight of the par fours are 440 or longer or whatever, but that's not, not really long to those guys. I mean, it's look what happened last I week. Know. Everyone's like, the golf course is long. I go, you don't know what long is. Yeah. You real people don't. Everyone looks at golf through their own kaleidoscope, right? We all have our own personal bias. So we think like, oh, I, you know, I, I jacked that seven iron one time and I hit it 175 or whatever, right? Like, you know, Cam Young flies a medium seven iron, 195 yards. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, like that, that's a different planet. So, you know, I mean, how long could you can make it as long as you want? It doesn't matter what I like a hundred guys, you know, you know, you got all the guys complaining because there was what seven guys that shoot 64 on the first day and they can't get top fives for second place on a Thursday, you know, like it's, yeah. I mean, it, that was Mexico and that was supposed to be long. Come on. I mean, there, there is no yeah. long anymore. You know, and it, at the end of the day, we figured out if if we don't get too much rain on Friday and it's windy, I already talked to the people in D.C. On a scale of one to ten, you're looking at about a seven and a half, eight for dryness right now. So the place should be pretty much perfect going into the weekend. It all depends where the weather comes in. And that's why I really feel like the weather is going to play an issue because everyone says, well, you know, how did Kyle Stanley shoot seven under and how did, you know, um, Francisco shoot 18 under well it poured 18 you know it was super yeah. wet conditions and those guys tear it apart no different I mean this golf course is a block from congressional remember what Rory did there yes. right it, I mean it's the same it's the same topography of, of land right so but that U.S. Open was super wet so mm -hmm. it was just darts practice I mean when those guys have that they're so good don't think about it in terms of your game look at the stats and actually think about how good they are when they hit 16 greens out of 18, right? Or they fly the ball or they hit the ball with 187 miles an hour ball speed. I mean, like, you know how fast that is? Yeah. It's well, it's like funny, funny that you mentioned, too, that, like, we don't know what long is because I step up to the 450-yard uh, par four at my place here that's, like, the longest uh, par four on the course, and it's, like, driver hybrid driver four iron for me keith but yeah. these guys are like 450 yards it's driver pitching wedge for a lot of them oh yeah I'm, i mean i'm checking joe idoni's 200 plus proximity to the hole for half of his <laughs> yeah. par fours right and then yeah. you know these guys they're hitting you're, you're we're having a conversation about rory controlling his wedges yeah i know it's it's i mean it's that's why it's so much fun to watch it is. And there are a couple of guys. All right. I'm going to tell you three guys that I like, and they're all hundred to one. Maybe you can narrow down for me, the one that you like the best out of this bunch. David Lipsky struck it incredibly well, actually better than Tony Finau. The only one better than Tony Finau last week is 100 to one. Denny McCarthy, who I've just had this thing for Keith for like two years, just waiting for Denny to win. And I know this is kind of his neck of the woods. Feels like his type of golf course. And I just don't want to miss it, Keith, because I feel like it's coming. And the yeah. other guy is Matt Neesmith, who I think is playing really well. I think has found, um, you know, speaking of sort of the mentality and, be, uh, you know, 
that approach to the game and, and taking some onus on that um, also sort of seemed to have a transformation there at the Valspar that he spoke about. All three, 100 to one, triple digits. Who would you take out of that bunch? Out of that bunch, I'd definitely go Neesmith. Okay. Um, Denny McCarthy's strongest suit is his putting, and that's it's negated here, right? Yeah. So don't get me wrong. These guys are all world-class ball strikers. They're on the PGA Tour. So I have the tremendous respect for them. But if I have to pick one, I'm going to go Neesmith because Valspar is the best comp there as far as, you know, orchestra, you know, getting your golf ball around the course, difficulty of, you know, tee shots and the angles and everything. I mean, this is a golf course where – um, you know, five of the shots are going, I think it's uh, right to left off the tee and eight are going left to right. Yeah. Eight, eight shots are faders and five are for, for drawers. Right. So you gotta be able to work the ball both ways and get it in the fairway. So, you know, it, you give me those three, I'm going to throw a name back at you, Martin Laird. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, you could tell him to hit it sideways, backwards or whatever. He's going to hit the fairway and he's going to hit the green. So I, I would look to guys more like that. And, um, but if I had to pick one of those three, I, I would go with Neesmith just because he's he's definitely one of those guys that's like a Sepp Straka that's popping and in all the right ways for this golf course. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like you mentioned a guy like Laird, and I think that a lot of those guys are really in play this week who don't hit it super far off the tee but are extremely accurate and positional. Um, even going back to the year, I'm not sure if it was St the Stanley year or the Molinari year, but if you look at some of the other guys down the leaderboard, it was it was Armour. It was Lingmurth, who coincidentally just Monday qualified in a playoff. It was J.J. Spawn was up there. It was Andrew Landry. It was guys not known to be in – they're probably in the bottom 25% in distance in the PGA Tour throughout their career. So I think that while last week we had this narrative that – okay, get out there, wide fairways, bombs away, and that sort of proved to be true in a lot of our, our predictions for the course. I think this week is a total shift. Yeah, yeah, there's there's no doubt about that. I, You really got to pay attention to those things. And I, and I also think that 17 and 18 is a long time ago. I mean, I know I referenced Lahiri yeah. in 18. Um, I do know that if someone's comfortable on a golf course, that's a good thing. But, you know, I was talking with Robert Dameron today for Read the Line, and – we were going over the golf course. And he said, Keith, I'll be honest with you. I used to play 30 golf courses a year. I would forget a golf course in two years. I'd come back and I kind of like remember bits and pieces, but I wouldn't really know it. And I have to, I'd have to rewrite my game plan. So don't get too attached to something that's four years ago, Joe, when you start to really dig in and, and you put together those, man, those award-winning DK lists and articles that you always do. Like, you know, don't get too romanticized by that. I would stick more with the Naismiths of the world that are in position to do what you think they're going to do rather than just completely going back to history and saying, oh, geez, Sun Kang. I know he's only he's, he's 712th in my model this week, but he had two top fives when they were there. Like, I, you know, Sun Kang's not walking through that door, you know, yeah, it's, it's and, not happening. Not just the five years have changed. It looks like um, by just judging by the scorecard distance, the golf course has changed a little bit and they may have moved some tee boxes around. I don't know if you have any info on that, but just shifting where a tee box is can have such a dramatic difference in terms of how that hole plays. Like you look at um, what was it? 11 or was it 11 or 12 this year at Augusta, which they kind of shifted that tee box around and turned it into a totally different hole. So while it doesn't necessarily always have to be back a lot, if you kind of shift where the players are going from, it can play totally different as well. Well, the last guy to go in with his architecture team and do some work and look at it and consult was Fred Funk. <laughs> so what do, what do you think the priority is going to be? You know? Yeah. He's the most accurate driver on tour all time, you know? So like, just hello folks, you know, yes. <laughs> I, you may not like the names that you get when you run your model with strokes gain off the tee as you know, but th those are the names that are going to be there at the end of the week. That's a great point. Anyone down here, Keith, before I, I, I kind of um, will shift out of the odds board here that gets your, I know you mentioned Martin Laird. It looks like there's 140 to one available. Um, anyone down here in this sort of bomb range that you have circled or are looking into this week? You know, everybody was all over Austin Smotherman last week, and I know he's way down there in bomb land or whatever, but mm -hmm. you know what? Uh, if you got to drive the ball straight and hit it decently, Ryan Armour is a good pick. I know. You know, I know his instructor, Jason Carbone, out there in Ohio, and Ryan just does his thing. And when he fits on – it's like Kevin Kisner. When I fit on golf courses, you'll see me. When I don't, I'll just be a tour pro. 
you know, and it's pretty good living, you know? So, yeah. you know, so like, that's a guy down the road there that, you know, I, I think that um, I, I just don't see this being as much as last week, like last week I was having fun and, and I really thought somebody like Robert Garrigus could make a run at that golf course. It was brand mm-hmm. new, somebody that could bomb it out there somebody that was maybe prepping their game, you know, to go over to London and play in a month and the live golf investments, you know, he's like, man, six yeah. million on the line. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to start practicing. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like somebody like that, but I, I don't, I don't think this week is a good week for that because the golf course is so hard. And even though it's not the strongest field in the world, what do we have? Like um, I think it's five in the top 25 in the official world golf ranking. Uh, I still think there's a lot of guys in the meet in the middle that, uh, are, are really where people should spend their attention. Yeah, Armor, for what it's worth, uh, 200 to 1 right now at DraftKings. You know, uh, Ryan Armor, uh, his his brother is actually a club pro in Ohio, right where I grew up from. My buddies all the time play there. So I was down here. We all came down. His brother came down at PGA National. This was probably three or four years ago. And Ryan got – he was paired with Brooks that day. They were both like fifth or sixth, so it was like a Saturday moving day. And it was just cool because he outplayed Brooks and the whole crowd, but like us little group of like six were following Ryan. And it was just fun to watch like someone play the way that Ryan plays and someone play the way that Brooks plays and have Ryan outplay him for 18 holes on a difficult golf course. So it just kind of speaks to the nature of, of, of the game and how it's suitable for all types of players if your game is right. Well, I just let's go to your boy, Denny McCarthy. If, yeah. if you and I were going to play and that guy rolled up on the tee, we would never know. And he'd beat you yeah. by 10 lefty. I, I mean, and you'd say, man, I've never seen a guy make more putts. And every time he puts it, it's like on the hole. And you're like, man, this guy's pretty good. You think, you know, he's on tour. And I, again, we, we tend to see golf. It's such a difficult game. And yeah. it's, it's so hard to get to that moment where you feel like you're actually competent at some part of it that you don't realize how much better someone could be at that aspect of the game. You know, I, I spent part of my career working at Isleworth country club from 1998 to 2003. All right. So I was at the home of tiger woods in his heyday, right? Yeah. Number of 2000, 10 wins, $10 million, three majors in a row and everything. And people would say to me all the time, Keith, how good is tiger at golf? And I would say tiger woods is better at golf than I am at breathing. <laughs> and breathing's really important to me. Yeah. Like uh, you, you get what I'm saying? Like you just, yeah. See, you see, these guys are so good. I mean, I saw Cam Young when he was 17. We were talking about it earlier. I'm like, yeah. man. And, you know, and Will Zalatoris won that junior in 2014. And he was two years younger than Cam. I mean, come on. Incredible. You know, I mean, I, I think it's just what I love most about what you do, Joe, what everybody does by bringing all these names up, especially the ones at the bottom of the leaderboard. It makes me really appreciate how good these guys are at golf. We go out and tee it up with Ryan Armour or your, your six-pack of buddies. We're all following him around the golf course, right? And yeah. You watch him hit shots. You're like, is this guy going to miss one? Like, is he, I know. And then he misses one in a bunker, and then he pitches it onto a foot. And you're like, well, okay. So That's what's so incredible one. to me is like someone who didn't pick up golf until I was out of college. So I never played around yeah. really until I was out of college. And um, when I go to to the Honda every year, it always shocks me. And people are always who don't know as much and haven't been. They're always like, is it incredible to see like how many like how incredibly like talented and how many good shots there are? And my answer is always yes, of course. But what's more amazing, honestly, is how many not great shots that they hit and still end up with par. Like the amount of times that they miss a fairway is 45% of the time. The amount of times that they miss a green is 30, 35% of the time. The amount of times that they hit one short and in the bunker is a lot. They don't, it's not that they're like so incredible, but what makes it so like special to watch is how they can still make birdie and par from nearly every situation on the course. That's what's the coolest thing for sort of me to see where I can see myself. I'm like, there's my triple, there's my double. And they just make a par look easy from these situations. Yeah. You know, John, John Rahm, he can't chip or putt, but he was number two in the world. So yeah, it must be awful. Yeah. No, that the one par three or the par four last week that he went for, and it looked like he was dead over there. Just the ability to sort of still make birdie there when I'm like, oh, yeah. I'll make, give my guys a chance. Maybe this will make bogey there. Maybe that swing. But yeah, it's, it's incredible to see. Listen, Keith, I really enjoy this. I really enjoy your content as well. Thank you so much for coming on the show before you get out of here. 
why don't you tell uh, all the people watching and listening on the podcast tomorrow where they can find more of your stuff? That was great. All right. Well, if, if you like the some of my stories there, folks, you can go to readtheline.com. You can subscribe for free. There is a premium version. It's 10 bucks a month, but start for free and just check it out. If you like my narratives and storylines and my bets, I mean, we just hit this last weekend on the LPGA. Marina Alex, Joe, 90 to 1. Yes. All right. Yeah. I'm gonna, as soon you as know? I get off this show, uh, what's the what's the bet this week for LPGA? They're Let off keep- this week. They're oh, off they're off. Week. Okay. They're off this week, but every week that they're on, they're on next week. They're actually here in New Jersey. I'll be at the site. I'm going to check it out, but I just, you know, that's my second LPGA hit this year. Um, I had Luke List at the Farmers. That's another 90 to 1, you know. These are life changer bets. The 4-day lottery, right? You know, yeah, I mean, come on. It's just it's- uh, so go there if if not um and you just want to listen to me talk about the pop culture of golf. You know, Joe was very nice to mention earlier the pro show with Keith Stewart. It's on ESPN radio, just out of New York city. You can find it on all your uh, podcast platforms. I, po- I post it there after Friday's show on the afternoon. We're on the Friday drive and uh, that's it. You know, yeah. check me out, have some fun. Thanks so much, man. You can tell you have a ton of fun with it. You can tell you're extremely knowledgeable and, and have years of experience doing it. So uh, it was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you again. Well, Hey man, I can't thank you for all that you do and how much I learned from you and everybody else on Twitter that keeps it normal, you know? Yeah. yeah. uh, Keep it normal. There's a a fine line there, but I really do appreciate it. And uh, you're going to be on the pro show soon. That's for sure. Please. I can't wait for it. Thanks again, Keith. All right. Take care. Have a good one. All right. That was good. He's incredibly fun. I first found Keith uh, when I started the tour picks, uh, TikTok page. So he was one of the first ones that sort of popped up. You know how TikTok works and the algorithms will kind of uh, bring you to people that do content similar to you. So basically like almost daily videos over there, uh, matchups every day, top 10 bets. Um, he puts in a ton of work and he's extremely knowledgeable. So so I really appreciate him sort of uh, hopping into the show. It was great to talk to him. All right. I'm going to keep it moving. I'm going to get to my best bet of the week. Actually, a little further down the odds board than you'll see most week. Keith mentioned him. I tried to stay a little bit quiet on it. It's Brian Harmon. Um, I really like Brian this week. Seven consecutive events gaining strokes off the tee. That's pretty good. And what he mentioned is Brian Harmon, while not the longest player, um, is extremely efficient off the tee. And he's pretty good on long golf courses. He's shown up at U.S. Opens before. Um, He's very good. Second in strokes game par four when you filter in only scoring conditions that are difficult for the week. Uh, Strokes gain off the tee over the last 24 rounds. He ranks 24th. Driving accuracy, 11. So uh, just much like Keith mentioned as well this week, uh, you got to find the fairway off the tee. You got to find the short grass. This Kentucky blue rough is is no f- – if it's up this week and it's wet and we get the sort of wind blowing, it's going to be extremely difficult for these players to hold greens. I like Brian Harmon in tough conditions. Recent form is okay, sort of kind of a mixed bag there. 35th, miscut. 5th, 63rd, miscut. 14th, 65th, and a third that I believe dates back to the Amex there. Um, So there you have it. That's my best bet of this week. Uh, Brought to you by my buddies over at the Fantasy Golf Pod. Check them out. They're doing a new thing with the Golf Guys program. They're going to start running on Thursdays, I believe now. So they're trying something different, uh, kind of an empty time slot. So we'll see if they can sort of fill that void. uh, And they do great work. Chad, Josh, Eric, Cecil, um, check them out. Fantasy Golf Pod on Twitter. Uh, put out great stuff. They did the projections earlier today. I think they'll do an ownership projection show. So good stuff out of that crew. Okay. Brian Harmon, best bet of the week. Lock it in 66 to 1, I believe, over on DraftKings Sportsbook. All right. Some comments. I'm going to get to these right now. Hitting buckets. My dude, does Matthew Wolf make us rich this week? No, he does not. Um, you know, I love me some wolf. I am rooting for the comeback. I think we were going to see the comeback. Um, now's not the spot. I know he's 200 to one. This ain't the golf course for him as wild and as loose as he can get off the tee, particularly right now. 
Already missing your DFS articles. Corey, thank you. I appreciate that. I will find a new home for the DFS pieces that were on quite a tear in terms of cuts made. Um, as of the stuff that I'm sort of pivoting to with Odds Checker, I don't know if you saw it last week, my man, but uh, I'm doing a weekly prop segment video with Jeff Feinberg on Tuesdays. That comes out and will drop on the Odds Checker feed probably Wednesday morning after they do a little editing and try to make us look good there. Um, but thank you for saying that. I will find a new spot for that. If you want any of my picks, uh, DM me and I'll, I'll send you a couple draft king slingers. Um, Zach, Patty Harrington commented on this concept before the PGA at Kiowa. It was a beautiful quote, the ignorance of youth versus the pain of experience. Yes, I think he's referring to when Keith and I were, were talking about uh, basically closing the deal, right? Is there a clutch factor? Is there this weight on your shoulder after years of experience of not being able to come through? versus just the exuberance and youth of some of the young guys. I uh, should be able to Google and find the full quote. These guys are sickos. They remember club selection. When did they fat it? Yeah, some of them do, but some of them don't. You're right. Some of them keep super detailed notes. Some of them don't. Uh, in terms of the players that, that I've spoken with, many of them are, are week to week on this stuff. So I think that there was a valid point there made about five years ago all that's happened in the last five years think of what you were doing in 2017 can you remember uh, exactly how you played this hole um it's a little bit different so there will be some sort of you know it's good to have a knowledge bank that you can go back on it can maybe provide a little bit of comfort but i think the point was not to rule anybody out that may not have played in 2017 and may not have played well they could have been very young into their career okay um things up here's what i'm thinking this week okay so you guys know that this is sort of the section of the show where i get into a little bit less golf i just kind of talk about life if you're here straight for the golf picks feel free to sort of jump out now i appreciate you checking out the show as always um but the final thought of this week is the law of least effort. Um, I've been reading this book, the seven spiritual laws of success by Deepak Chopra. That is an awesome book. If you were to start somewhere in terms of, uh, you want to sort of increase a little bit of mental health or your spirituality, this is a great book that I would 100% recommend. Now the law of least effort may not be what you would think it is. Suffice to say it's, it's stop getting in your own way. Um, the book really teaches you seven different spiritual laws. Like I said, this one is number four. And here's how I'm going to sort of tie it into a little bit of golf and what I saw with John Rahm. So it's confusing, the wording, like I mentioned. But it basically is, is stating, in my words, that the more that you are trying to manifest things and the more that you are trying to force things, whether it be technical or whether it be trying super hard at something, um, it, it becomes less and less something that is natural that is going to happen um, and something natural that could be something to you. The concept of the book says to sort of look at nature in this, like um, it gives the, the analogy of the grass doesn't try to grow. The birds don't try to fly. The leaves don't try to change colors. They just do. And I get caught up in this guys more and more trying to analyze the whys of how many people watch the show and the hows of how to do something better. And the more and more I, I sort of try to incorporate this lesson that sometimes you can actually do less and accomplish more. So Chopra gives this three pronged approach to applying this law in real life, acceptance, 
responsibility, defenselessness. So when you free up all the energy that you put in to forcing those three things, forcing yourself to be accepted, forcing yourself to control a narrative, forcing a moment, trying to um, manifest something super hard to happen for you, um, it doesn't allow the proper space for that to happen naturally. So I listened to John Rom's post-round presser. And those of you who follow me know that I've been particularly hard on Rom lately for his um, lack of positivity on the golf course. But he said something that I found uh, somewhat profound. And it brought this law of least effort into mind. Um, he was very frustrated with his results going into the Masters that he couldn't win, even though he thought he was playing well. Uh, he was paying a ton of attention to the stats, particularly the short game, particularly the putting, particularly analyzing all the technical aspects of chipping and putting and his swing and overdoing it. Um, finally, the final day before the Masters, he mentioned that he got paired up with Tiger. And there's this thing when you get paired up with Tiger at Augusta where I can imagine this is true. You kind of lose a little bit of the like technical swing thoughts and you just kind of have to play based on feel and that's how he's always played and he mentioned that no one you look at John Rahm's swing no one like Keith the PGA professional is is teaching that swing um, that was something that developed to him naturally he didn't force that swing um, it was the swing of least effort so it's what came naturally to him it wasn't necessarily what was overly forced into happening for him to get the best results. It was what came with least effort. And he carried that mindset um, into last week. And I know that he was the favorite. And I know that it's not a huge surprise that he won. But he got back to stop analyzing all the technical parts of his golf game. And he started becoming a field player. And he showed that great touch back around the green. And he made some huge putts in contention. And he continued to free flow it off the tee. There was one par five down the stretch where he's literally aimed over the left water. But he knows that his ball is going to cut. He trusts it. And he plays it over there. And he pounded it by Cameron Champ and Kurt Kitayama on his way to victory. That was his seventh PGA Tour victory in his young career. Congrats to John Rahm. I think that him choosing to accept some of the flaws in his own swing and himself maybe um, allowed him to choose this sort of path of least resistance and contribute to him getting another PGA Tour victory. And now, of course, on top of the world again, heading into the next three majors of the season. Those are my final thoughts for this week. I hope that you all have a great week. Congrats. And thank you again um, to Keith Stewart for joining me on the show this week. I hope you all enjoyed that. Have a great week. I will talk to you guys later. Peace.